From WPVM LP in Asheville, I'm Jonathan Ammons, here with a Dirty Spoon special interview. The first time I heard Steve Gunn, it was this song, the title track from his fantastic 2014 record, Way Out Weather. It's a starkly beautiful, pensive folk rock record, but not in that trendy folk rock sense. There's no hey-ho hooks, there's no ripping dobro solos or rapidly arpeggiating banjo lines under tight harmonies. His music evokes an older kind of folk and an older kind of rock. It's quiet, it's calming, it's patient. And the sounds are just haunting, paving the way for his deeply esoteric lyrics. It's a timeless sound that could have come from the 1960s or yesterday, and it's a sound he comes by honestly. Having been the guitarist for the late folk icon Michael Chapman, he has his feet firmly planted in that history. British folk icon Bridget St. John even plays on his new record. But he also has his feet set on modern rock territory, having been the guitarist for Kurt Vile and the Violators after Kurt Vile left the war on drugs. Since 2007, Steve Gunn has released 21 albums, and they just keep getting better. His latest is called Other You, and it's one of his best works yet. A longtime Brooklynite, Gunn went all the way to LA to lock down in the studio during the heights of the pandemic and record this record. And both the lockdown and being in a strange city in a strange time opened him up to other parts of himself that he didn't see back home, the other him. He's actually touring the record finally and playing here in Asheville at the Grey Eagle on December 10th. I caught up with him via Zoom in advance of the show at his home in New York. Here's our conversation. Yeah, I know, like, um, I, I first kind of stumbled upon you, I think, when a lot of people did with uh, Way Out Weather. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. you know, that's just a really, really beautiful, cohesive record. And uh, I think it's been so cool to see how each album's evolved, too. Like, if yeah, you compare I, that record to this one, it's mm-hmm. totally separate genres, but it still feels like you. Like, it still sounds like a Steve Gunn record. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like uh, that Way Out Weather was a real starting point for me um, because it was the first time that it was like a realized album and it was something that I collaborated with in a studio and, you know, it was like, it it felt like a real session, I guess, if that's what you'd like to call it. Um, Yeah. And it, I don't know, it was so, so interesting um, the the process of that record because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I invited <laughs> like five or six friends who I really admired um, as people and musicians to come and help me. And everything was really off the cuff. And it was this sort of very mysterious, dark, cold winter few days in, up in upstate New York. And it felt it just there was something really, really mysterious and special about that session. And, yeah. Um, I was talking with my friend who I made the record with, and we were basically saying, um, "Let's think about that record and let's make this new one and, and remember what happened and try to cultivate that kind of that kind of um, creative energy um, for this new one." And that's kind of what we did. We used like the memories of that session uh, f- for to kind of spring ideas um, for this new one. And I, some of the ideas were basically just kind of being open and being open to experimentation and really yeah. listening 
to the tonality of the music and and creating textures and and in a lot of ways yes. it was seems kind of the opposite too like instead of being mm-hmm. in some cold upstate new york studio you went to la yeah no with like it's a true. whole different band it seems like <laughs> yeah it's a completely different band justin who i'm speaking of he was the guy who kind of really masterminded other way out weather and i credit him for that and so he's someone that i've known for a really long time and i think he understands my influences and my capabilities and my style and we have we share a lot of the same tastes as far as like albums go and a lot of the same kind of ambitions as far as what kind of record we want to make so basically yeah it was it was an interesting kind of continuation but also completely different where you know and a lot of time has passed and we all have evolved and it's kind of this evolved version of that and we were out in LA and um, I also kind of had ideas of who I would want to have people that uh, a lot of people who I admired. Yeah. I was really grateful that they were willing to help and work on it. And yeah, the, the guest list that. on this record is incredible. Like, I mean, yeah, Juliana yeah, Barwick, like, man, she's for, yeah. for listeners who, who don't know her. She, the, her album, the magic place is like an icon of like ambient music and just like, this yeah, really incredible yeah, she's recording incredible. project. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and she was really great, you know, gracious and like was, was into it. And How did you get involved working with her? I, um, I met Juliana, um, basically well, I've, I was been a fan of her music for years. She was kind of in New York playing with different people and, I never really got to know her, but my kind of access point of, of meeting her and knowing her a little more was through Mary Lattimore. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm pretty, I've known Mary for years and years and her and Mary have collaborated and are, are, are pretty good friends. And so I kind of met, was able to sort of meet Juliana and get to know her a little bit. Yeah, better through through Mary, you know. And Mary Lattimore is, you know, accomplished harpist and like great experimental artist in her own right. And you've she's played yeah. on several records of yours, right? She has, yeah, she has. She played on Way Out Weather. That was the first one, actually. Oh, awesome! Yeah, um, she's incredible. Yeah, she's amazing, and she's so she's a big inspiration. I mean, she's she's out on the road right now. You know, she's yeah down down in Austin and back on the road and. When you work with people like that, especially really experimental artists that really, really do their own thing, um, mm-hmm. what does that kind of collaboration look like? Like, how do you how do you set that up? How do you function? Is that entirely done in studio? Is that something that gets passed back and forth through email? Like, what's what's going uh, on well, with that type of collaboration? Well, considering the the like what was happening when we made this record and the fact that everyone was homebound, yeah, um, it created a different kind of exchange, and it actually. I quite enjoyed it because it gave whoever I asked any free, I basically was, was like, it's unlimited what you want to come up with. It's really up yeah. to them. For me, that was like a really special opportunity to like ask someone who I admire, give them some ideas that I've been working on and just tell them it's up to you. You know, if you right. don't feel it, if you're not feeling it, that's also fine. But you know, 
take this and take it for what it is. And if you feel like you can add something to it, I'd love to hear it. And There's so no producer sort of, in the room to tell them play this like this or anything. Yeah, it was, yeah. there was none of that. So that's what was also really cool because uh, we were getting back all these kind of amazing interpretations of, of uh, the music. And yeah. it really, it started opening up everything um, in a cool way. And yeah. for me, that process of, of uh, letting it not, not really um, observing what they were doing and letting them be open with it uh, was, was really cool. And nice. we got so much stuff back, you know, that sometimes there'd be like, Oh, well, I tried these three different things. So, you know, we had options. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it saved a lot of time. Also uh, being in the studio, I was out in LA and we were, being obviously extremely careful and and not knowing was no one was coming in for the session. It was just the, yeah. the three of us huh. there. So we had all this concentrated time to kind of sculpt the music and we would get files from people and throw them in and see what would work and what wouldn't. And also the studio where I worked was amazing. There's tons of sense and the, you know, the endless amounts of guitars that I only could dream of playing <laughs> you know at my disposal yeah and tons of gear and you know we were just hanging and having fun man. yeah the like, sounds on this record you could tell it's take it was done over time you know that it yeah. just, it's just really and, deep rich and a lot of synths which i don't think show up all that much on your records which was kind of cool yeah i think we were like really working with texture a lot on this one and atmosphere and yeah. you know i work i was I admired the engineer Rob Schnaff was someone who I knew through other albums and he yeah was like, to fill listeners in like he's done everything from like Elliot Smith to um, Kurt Vile Beck like the all the early good Beck records and all the really memorable Elliot Smith yeah. records were his his masterpieces yeah yeah and it's true I mean he's a he's a real master at his craft and he's an incredible person to know and his sort of work ethic and his, his sort of the environment that he creates in the studio was exactly what we needed. It was not, you know, it's just really comfortable. And Rob, for me, it's like, I, I, I know that I needed someone to help me, but not dictate, but more, more cultivate, I I suppose. And kind of, he really, was encouraging and he also was was firm in his encouragement because i think he saw something in the music and saw something in us and yeah. knew and it made in in turn it made me feel more confident and you know particularly with my singing for example he basically kind of had these things that he was just telling me things that made me live more comfortably in my in myself and yeah. i never felt that way in the past and i let a lot of I let my guard down quite a bit, and yeah, because your background's and, in guitar, right? How did you come into yeah. singing? Like, what was that that journey like? I I kind of started slowly. <laughs> you know, I wasn't um, a singer in school, or I wasn't ever in plays, or took voice lessons, or learned how to project my voice. I'm I'm pretty fairly quiet person, I guess, um, and. It took me years to um, sing, but I, for me, I wanted to, I, I was always interested in telling stories and writing. 
yeah and, and interested in poetry and creating kind of uh landscapes with that with that medium yeah and of course i wanted to sing and, and write tunes and write songs and i slowly i was you know focused on guitar for years and years and then i slowly kind of doubt started dabbling in that and this was a time where i was people were making their own music and selling physical copies you know cd right. and things and i remember I made sort of a collection of songs and this was a time where I was kind of playing in a lot of more underground venues and with underground musicians. And I suddenly sort of slipped this uh, acoustic song CDR in the mix and people are like, Whoa, man, like I didn't know you sang these delicate <laughs> songs, you know, yeah. sensitive, sensitive songs. I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'd been kind of doing it privately, you know, at home. Yeah, but people heard it, and I remember selling copies uh, of a CDR to a record store here in New York. Other music, which essentially, for me, was an institution, and for many other people, it was, and it was a place that, you know, they they were very supportive of independent musicians at the time, and they were buying CDRs from people. You know, I went in there and sold them CDRs sight unseen. Yeah. music on music on her and the <laughs> fact that they like purchased you know maybe five of them and put them in their racks and yeah I, I could come back and see them in the rack i mean for me that was like a total revelation for me and then you know and then someone from the store was like hey i listened to your are you steve like yeah oh man i really really dig that cd like you know yeah that kind of stuff Best really feeling valid. in the world. Yeah. yeah it was Most really validating valid. feeling you'll ever have the first yeah, time. For, you a young, <laughs> for a young person like myself, it was extremely validating. Yeah. You know, That's awesome. And then, and then that kind of progressed, you know, the CDs eventually became an LP um, through a label, uh, Three Lobe Records. And he, uh, Corey Rayborn, based in North Carolina, put out my first solo album. And then, you know, that had distribution and people in Europe had the album and then I got invited to go there and that kind of stuff. It just sort of stemmed from there. And then, you know, of course, like a way out weather was, was shortly after that. And that was really the first time I was like, I'm going to go to a studio and bring some friends to help me, people that I had met along the way. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of created a whole different sort of atmosphere and, and sort of way of working for me. And that was my first delve into like studio albums and you know, yeah. Come, however long ago that was, it's, I'm still con kind of continuing that awesome. trajectory. Yeah, yeah. No. And I think it, it's, it, it's been so interesting. Like I said earlier, like watching your sound evolve. Cause I mean, you've got like, I mean, eyes on the line was more like a rock record, you know, kind of straight ahead, like yeah, guitar driven rock like, record. And then that you, was like my New York city, like, television influenced yeah oh totally yeah the television record that yeah i got that i got that one out of the way yeah. <laughs> it, it was a great record it's a really yeah, fun, fun listen and then like you know right after that you had unseen in between which is stripped back more acoustic sounds um yeah. back to some kind of folk roots mm -hmm. and then now you're with other you which this is a this was written pre-pandemic right yeah, I mean, I started writing it pre-pandemic, okay. and then it's a very it's optimistic record. <laughs> yeah, it is, and, it, it, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, this you. is the most optimistic thing I've heard come out after COVID." You know, 
<laughs> well, I think personally, like it's interesting because I started writing it before and then, and then the pandemic hit kind of as I was, as I was like planning on recording it and I had all yeah. some songs written and demos made and, and then everything just fell apart and there's some really, I went through a really tough time. Like I lost a, a friend and mm. this was all within, you know, as when all that stuff started happening, I was in New York and yeah, you know, all these things were unfolding in real time. You know? Totally. And it was really hard to quantify. It was really hard to, there was just so much unknown and so much sort of like anxiety and, and fear and, and New York I mean, was locked down, locked down. It was locked down hard. And, yeah. you know, Trump was still in office. I felt like the, you know, like the evil, the evil was descending on the world, you know. Totally. <laughs> but um, for me, the, this this music and, and this, like, the even the songs that I wrote before, they all became, they they all held more weight. And I really kind of, lived in this in the process of making this record during that time i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a covid record per se but yeah it my life was like almost not to sound trite but it was like depending on this music and i was and a lot of it was like speaking to myself and others obviously others as well i mean that kind of ties into the title but i just was i had to because i had no other nowhere else to go and and i was alone it was up to me to 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 survive it and to and to like <laughs> let go a lot of things that i was holding on to and for me yeah personally speaking it was in a lot of ways a gift because i needed to take a break and i needed to check in with myself i needed to check in with my habitual life, with my sort of psychosis, yeah. <laughs> my, neuro my neurosis, all that stuff, I realized that it was a driving force of my life. And I had time to really um, sit and, and think about this stuff and think about mm -hmm. what I was kind of holding as just inside of me. And, and um, that's really what a lot of the record is about. And it, I was writing continuing to write it as I was experiencing all this stuff. So essentially it's like, I don't know. It was like a, just this offering of, of what I went through and it was really positive. And I, that to me, that was an important um, in aspect of, of it, of, of like my creative life and process to hold on to that and to be grateful for it. Yeah. You know, not, not brood and not, not, become consumed by ego you know i think that it's very it's a very treacherous sort of journey when you try to become a musician and you can get consumed by yourself and you have these expectations of what you want from it and of totally. course that is not a healthy way to live yeah uh, and for me th this album was almost a personal kind of like i was transcending a lot of things a lot of tropes you know, yeah. as far as being a musician and being on a label and having an Instagram account and, and being thrown <laughs> into this kind of weird, weird world of, of social media and self-gratification and all this stuff, you know, I, for me, it was like, I, you know, I have to admit, like I got kind of swept up in it and everyone, everyone is. And I, I had to let a lot of that go and I did. And 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and I also was concerned about not just myself, but, but other people and totally, you know, my, the people that I love in my life and people that I don't know, you know, and, but, but still love, I guess, Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And there's this, I don't know, I try to kind of create this universal sort of, I wouldn't say a concrete message, but you know, an atmosphere um, and, and perhaps people can listen to the record and gain something from that. And to me, that's a goal, a goal of mine, you know, is to connect, connect in that way. You know? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the the gratitude. Cause I think there is like a sense of gratitude that comes off both on this record and on unseen in between that are just like these, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's a very, there's grit to them. It's not like there's some, you know, it's not, not a trite feeling, but they're uplifting, but also grateful records that are just, kind of celebratory but also acknowledging darkness and yeah I, it's very true I, I feel like i i like that balance i think you'd be kidding yourself if you made a happy-go-lucky record and yeah put it out in the world and say like well what's wrong with you like you know <laughs> don't you think it's true that the world is wonderful it's like <laughs> no 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 it's, to me <laughs> yeah to me to me, I was sort of reflecting on the oddness of, of things and the darkness for sure is an aspect. Yeah. But also I was, I'm, I really try to hang on to the hopeful aspects of it. And I feel like there's an underlying message of hope um, in, in humanity, I suppose, and yeah. just in people and in myself. Um, and that's or it's something that I kind of try to incorporate as a balance. Yeah, I would say that this, as far as pandemic releases go, is like the opposite of the Bo Burnham, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like stuck <laughs> in your apartment and feeling the doom. Like it could yeah. not be, it could, could not be more different of a way of like yeah. internalizing this. <laughs> right. Like, for example, like I'll bring up a song and there's a song on my record called On the Way. And um, it's a perfect, for me, it was like the perfect way to kind of reflect a real huge sense of hope, but also a touch on the dystopian nature of the world. I was spending a lot of time in Los Angeles. And then this was also during lockdown. And and to me, like the the sort of energy of, of the city was always something that I was hard for me to grasp. But particularly during lockdown, it became this real different kind of place. And the energy was was something yeah. I'd never seen before, you know. Um yeah. And I was thinking about that a lot. And I was thinking also about climate change. I mean, I have to say like that's a big issue in, 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 in just in my mind. And when I think about music and think about trying to try, trying to kind of create, cultivate ideas and images and, and atmospheres, that's something that's on my mind too. And there's a certain level of anxiety about a lot of things with the yin and yang of, of, being grateful and hopeful and, and loving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's a big part of, of, of it, you know, and I feel that you have to in life accept both and, and, um, and feel both, yeah. you know, and find the balance of, of those, t- those two things uh, in between, because if you, if you deny either of those, you're going to be in trouble in the end. Yeah. You know? Um, and I feel that, Perhaps this record and and my records before are reflections of that. And you know, and maybe there's not enough of like uh, accessibility for pop 
pop stardom or you know <laughs> a smashing success but that's really not what i'm looking for um well i mean as esoteric as your writing can be i i would assume yeah. that that's not what you're aiming for <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't I mean, get a lot of people, Ooh, baby babies in these lyrics <laughs> no 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 definitely not but you know i guess it's true it's like some people they're like dude what is this song about? What are, these, what are these lyrics? You know, and I'm like, well, what do you think they are? You yeah. Know? It's not up to me. I'm not telling you that I, you know, worked at a cafe and someone that, and it was a love at first sight situation. And then that person broke my heart six months later. And here I am sitting at the bar drinking whiskey. You know, it's not, it's not about that. Like, yeah. You know, for me, I mean, not to sound corny, but some of it, you know, I do, believe in poetry and I do believe in using language as a tool, an artistic tool, you know? Um, and if I'm, if there's a song and you're like, is this about this or is this about that? And what the hell is his intention? I don't get it. It's like, well, why don't you take a walk and listen to it and like, look at, you know, look at, look at your surroundings and maybe you'll conjure up something that you've come up with yourself, you know? just tuning in i'm jonathan ammons and you're listening to a special dirty spoon episode in my conversation with steve gunn he has a new record out called other you and he's about to play a show at the gray eagle on december 10th let's dive into other you because as you said earlier like that's a title that means something i've heard you describe this as it that it was kind of like writing a novel um and I, th- I think like when you listen to it, it is this very almost T.S. Eliot like novel esque like mm, yeah. poetic verse. But it's also, I don't know. There's a lot going on of like discovering the other you, and and self awareness in this record. Yeah, there is a lot of that going on. And as I said before, like th- this was a dive, a sort of very deep dive that I went into um, during the writing of this record, and I felt like all these, like that, 
that period and the the writing uh, it really aligned itself. And I and I for me my my records and maybe I should try something different, and maybe I will. But I always <laughs> I always kind of write records, and obviously this is probably with most people. But like I I'm dealing with the the shit that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Um, at the, at the moment, at the present moment, you know, I'm processing a lot of life experiences, whether it's palpable or not, or whether it's understandable or not. Um, I'm dealing with life experiences as I'm writing. Um, I'm not writing. I never, you know, I I'm interested in doing different writing in different ways. Like perhaps like some songwriters that I really like and admire or write songs not even from their perspective, from different people's, from characters, essentially. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting pr- way to, to, to approach songwriting, um, for sure. But I felt not when I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, man, I was going through this or I was going through that. And I can, I can, I can hear exactly what I'm referencing personally and, and what I'm alluding to personally. Um, and uh, well, I, I, t- I totally lost the thread. I'm <laughs> such a rambler. Um, it's all good. Oh, we're here for no, rambles. I guess I was just saying, yeah. So with other you, I, I was kind of going through this sort of stuff that, you know, I feel like was was kind of life changing in a lot of ways, and it just uh, it was a shift, a personal shift, and I, you know, people have those, and I yeah. was going through. It. The record, you know, kind of coincides with that. Um, and it, it was, yeah, for me, it was a really great time as, as a creative person, because a lot of times with, and particularly with music and, and someone like myself who goes on tours and puts music out and all these plans, they tend to fold in on each other, you know, where you're on the road and then you're like, oh man, in in a, in a month I'll be in the studio, but like you have no time to really sit and and work and and but so you're writing on bits of paper in a van and staring out the window, um, but you're you're not really connecting with it in a lot of ways. And um, I feel like this was a time for me to 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 close off from from everything essentially and immerse myself in these songs and all of this stuff like i said was all kind of was all it was all together and i used and i just focused on this music yeah uh, during that time and i made tons of demos and you know i mentioned justin who i made the record with i would just send him demos and ideas and he he's in la and he would you know, we would talk, it would just create these conversations and we essentially came up with this plan. Um, and we had tons of time, you know, of course, like the session kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And we had a lot of time to realize and map out what we wanted to do. And, um, and then we, it's, yeah, for us, it was like this personal achievement where we're like, damn, we really (laughs) did what we, expected and we did what we wanted what we sought out to do with rob yeah Um, yeah and And you worked with a very different band on this one too like there's nobody on this record that was on on your last record right um no i think well mary played on some of my previous albums but she's such you know she's a good friend and i always see if she's around because her heart playing is just adds a whole another 
dimension to to songs. Um, yeah, and her playing is incredible in her own right, and her solo music is is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I you know I think I was trying to kind of get a different feel, and I, I wouldn't necessarily want to invite the same people all the time. Um, right, I you know different someone like Jeff Parker, who I'm going to be playing shows with, you know, he, he can take a song and create different voicings and come at it from a different angle that I don't have the ability to do. And hmm. for me, and, and there's other musicians like Bill McKay and, and Juliana and my friend, Ryan Sawyer, who plays drums, they, they all are experts at what they do. And they're just, you know, they are very dedicated to their craft. Yeah. And, for me, it was important to let them bring themselves into this music, um, and they did. And for me, that was like such a cool part of the process was to kind of see what would happen. And it always it elevated the music definitely. Um, yeah, awesome. And you yeah. you worked with Bridget St. John on this record too. Oh, I did. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. So cool. How did you get connected with her? Was that through through your work with Michael Chapman? It was, yeah, and I, you know, I'm such a big fan of Bridget's music, and yeah. I met her through Michael, and it turns out that she has been living in New York for years and years, huh. 30 years or something like that. Crazy. I, you know, I didn't know that, and we just became kind of friends, and we still are in touch a lot, and, you know, I have always dreamt of having her sing with me, and, yeah. um, Finally, like this record, I was like, I'm, I'm going to ask Bridget, you know, and see if she's around. And she was, and she was really into the idea. We have a mutual friend who we both work with, who's an engineer. Um, and she went over to his studio and in kind of real time, she did some backup singing just for the afternoon. And it was really cool. And awesome. I got to perform the song with her a few times. Awesome. The past like a few months. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's so cool because I always feel like your your music has this kind of like throwback British folk sound to it. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. definitely sense a lot of influences in that. I know people often compare it to like Pink Floyd, but I'm like, no, it's more like older <laughs> British folk than that, and like more yeah. more deeper rooted. And yeah, uh, it's, yeah, and you are literally play with you know Michael Chapman and and Bridget St. John now. Like that's got to be amazing. Yeah, and for me, it's like that that access to those people they're still you know, michael recently passed but yeah they're still active and they're still out in the world and still interested in music and still playing and they're such for me it's like such important such an important resource it's almost my version of a folk tradition where it's not this kind of appropriated version of music it's more of this exchange and friendship and you yeah. know hanging out with bridget and, and hanging out with Michael, it's like they start talking about things that, you know, are crazy. It's just like she's this perfectly amazing performer in her own right at 75 years old. And meanwhile, she was really close friends with people like Nick Drake, you know, right. and, and, you know, playing early gigs with these people. And she was really close friends with John Martin and some of these musicians who essentially were extremely influential and heroes of mine. Yeah. Um, the fact that like, I know and friends with people who like were close with those folks. Um, I feel like there's a wealth of knowledge there and there's this exchange from a younger person's perspective that 
for me, it's important. You know, I feel I, I am really into that still into, into kind of cultivating that, those relationships, you know, I feel like with music these days, a lot of that stuff is, is kind of lost those connections, um, those tangible connections, you know, maybe there's, you know, internet connections with, uh, for example, if I was making music that sounded like nineties indie rock and I became (laughs) Instagram friends with, you know, someone from built a spill or something like that. Um, no disrespect to them, but I guess I'm just using them as an example. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's this real tangible um, kind of connection with with knowing these older artists. And I certainly, their music is influential to me. And thank you for, uh, I mean, I love Pink Floyd too, but, you know, I, I also, you know, Michael's music is equally as or more influential to me than, than that. You know? Yeah, totally. And I also believe in, my influence is not necessarily um, being heard. You know, I think I gain a lot of influence from visual art and from musicians that I don't necessarily sound like. And I feel sometimes when I, in interviews, I'll bring up musicians or cite things that might sound lofty (laughs) or out of context, but you know what? It's like, that's who I am. And all this stuff is, is very important to me. And, yeah. I reflected in my own way and with my own voice and I'm not comparing people really love to compare that. You know, it's like, I say, I love this musician Hamza Eldin from Egypt. He's an oud player. And, you know, I've been listening to his music for the better part of half my life. And hmm. it's, it's important to me. And, and if someone says, well, dude, your music doesn't sound like Hamza Eldin, I'd rather put his music on than listen to yours. It's like, well, you're missing the point, man. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to appropriate or even attempt to try to sound like him, but his, that doesn't mean you're not influenced by it. Yeah. 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 So that kind of stuff is sort of frustrating to me where it's like, Oh, it's more Pink Floyd than, than Burt Janch. It's like, well, it's yeah. neither of those. It's me. Yeah. Compa- <laughs> but, comparison is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know I, I obviously realize it's, it has to happen. You know, no one's going to tell me otherwise of course yeah and i'm not i'm not doing anything new if you know either <laughs> yeah you know one thing speaking of those influences and stuff one thing that i i noticed like when when i first latched on to way out weather what i really dug about it was it had this kind of looping effect like all of your all the songs seem to be start with just like a extended loop of a guitar part mm-hmm. just played over yeah. and over again almost like the way like talking heads or david byrne does it where they like find this thing that you can repeat endlessly and never get tired of hearing and then they yeah, build it's like kind a of like, whole arrangement around it like a cyclical groove that sort of grows yeah and, and then yeah, no, and then I, the song branches off and goes all kinds of weird places outside of that but it always comes back to that root almost like a um indian raja or something you know like mm-hmm. the the um just a, or a, a irish or a celtic reel or something like that yeah no and that's huge that's that's i'm glad you brought that up because that's a big both of those musics are important to me and i feel like that is a that is one way that i'm bearing that influence is like you can hear there is essentially i wouldn't call it a maybe maybe sort of a thread or a drone that goes through a lot of the music yeah really I, I, I think repetition is something that's valued and something that I like because it's grounding and yeah. 
you can kind of go maybe take that as the initial jump off point and then see where that can, how that can grow and blossom and, and bloom. Sorry to sound corny, <laughs> but like there's things that open up from that and there's overtones and there's a whole world within that. And, and for me, I, it's just my, the way that I naturally kind of come up with things is like, I work with one idea, one thread or, or, or one tone and, and kind of follow that. And yeah. it's cool to hear that you can hear that within within a lot of the music. I mean, that's just some of my favorite stuff that I'm drawn to. Like, I love that aspect of like, that's what drew me to Talking Heads and to, to you know, Brian Eno and to all these other artists that kind of build off of that central drone because it keeps you from getting stuck in that rut of those four chord songs that can just make something feel immediately flimsy. And yeah, it and just removes like, the emotion from the song when you just like, here's my four chord tune. <laughs> yeah. There's like a formula there, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, for me, I was, I'm always, I wouldn't call it formless per se, but I'm open. It, it feels for me, it's like, it's more open. Are you, do you lean yeah. towards that more because of your background with like, I know you do a lot of improvisational music and have a background in more improvisational playing. Um, and I know a lot of improvisational players will keep a drone to, anchor them back yeah. to something. I, I was wondering if that kind of comes from that. I think it does. And I think it comes from, it comes from that, which is something that, you know, I've learned how to play and it was a tool and an initiative and sort of a, a way to explore music and listening. I think listening, I realize I listen to a lot of music that has a lot of repetition in it and a lot of quote unquote drones happening. Um, and yeah. I think naturally the way that I play, I think I'm largely uh, self-taught. And when I go and, you know, rehearse or play, I'll, I can kind of like live in a, in one kind of rhythmic cycle and one sort of cycle. Maybe it's long, but I tend to just like repeat lines quite a bit and then do things over top of that. You know? Yeah. Um, and it also like, I mean, this is mainly to describe for listeners who might not have listened to much of your music, but it often reminds me of like a, a JJ Kale kind of feel where there's a, um, there's all this energy, but it's so quiet, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah. it's like, you're barely whispering, but there's just like this intensity and this energy to it. And that's something that it's a restraint that I don't see a lot of guitarists have, you know, normally a guitarist is just cranking it to 11 and, and noodling but you mm -hmm. you seem to provide a lot of space and as a self-taught musician i'm wondering like where did you draw from when you were learning that that led you to play in this way i drew from a lot of different styles i started playing finger style acoustic um kind of when i was around like in my early 20s like late teens early 20s and that style technically speaking um, for a moment is basically like you can play a bass line and then play a melody over it. And usually the bass lines remain quite steady. Yeah. And so essentially you're kind of just doing, creating this tone through underneath of the melody. So it's like a supportive, almost like a piano, but, but less options, I guess. <laughs> and um <laughs> At the time, I was listening to a lot of Indian classical music and hmm. a lot of just music from all over the world. I mentioned Hamza El-Din. Yeah. I also was listening to a lot of sitar players and, and different oud players and different instruments, uh, Indian instruments as well. 
sarobe and and other instruments. What drew Sarod, you to that? I, what drew you to Indian music? Um, I think I don't know. I mean, I was listening to kind of quickly give you a, a younger trajectory where I was just absorbing all kinds of music, and I think I discovered I discovered Coltrane kind of when I was like you know late teen. Yeah, and I discovered essentially Indian music through through some of his music and huh. um, his influences, and his music really spoke to me. And um, and I think you know listening to his albums when I was young, uh, over and over, I could I could just could I can still listen to certain records and yeah. I'm not tired of it, you know. And and there's couple songs that were kind of influenced bearing certain sort of like Indian influences. And I just, I don't know, I was living, I was just so interested in traveling and so interested in the world back then and fantasizing about other cultures and other worlds, you know, kind of creating other worlds, but also trying to learn about them. And I lived in Philadelphia and I remember um, buying Indian cassettes from an Indian grocery store in my neighborhood and just bringing them home and realizing, you know, basically judging from the cover, you know, uh, but also when I would go into my room and play this stuff, it was on, you know, like this new music that I was discovering that was so beautiful and so calming and, and melodic and exotic. And it was just stuff that I kind of go, went back to and I kept going to and, it, I don't know. It just sort of stuck with me. You know? Yeah. And it's, then I realized what, how influential it was to some other music that I was already checking out. And, you know, I kind of made those connections. Yeah. I feel like that's very rare for, for someone, you know, still learning guitar to be like, Oh, here's some very calming music for me. Like most, most, yeah. most kids are trying of, to rock out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, I was somehow, I mean, I also loved that stuff. I loved loud bands and yeah. loud sludge rock and garage rock. And, but I was never like a Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I love right. Eddie Van Halen, but I never was a shredder, you know, it was always yeah. more like this kind of nebulous player that I listened to a lot of different kinds of music. Um, and it, and also I was at the time too, I discovered Fahey and, oh, yeah. and how he was um, just making instrumental guitar music that, that was super interesting. Yeah. That also was bearing a lot of influences that were, you know, coming from Spain and, and, and classical and experimental yeah. stuff as well. And I mean, I'm sorry to name drop, but there's equally as, go ahead. <laughs> equally as important musician was Sandy Bull, who I guess is lesser known than Fahey, but was a guitar player, kind of radical person, um, huh. particularly for his time. He was, you know, playing classical songs on banjo and doing Indian sort of styled music um, on guitar and playing with jazz musicians and just home recording and, and layering tracks and really made some really incredible um, records Yeah, um, that came out, you know, in the sixties and early seventies. Awesome. Respectfully. Anyway, um, I guess those are my, those are, that music is quite influential to me. And I know that I'm also, I don't want to feel like I'm 
appropriating, like doing any kind of cultural appropriation to it. Like I never, it's, there's a fine line of being kind of disrespectful yeah. and, and bringing up these influences. And I by no means know or understand the, you know, the, the technicalities of Raga. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, that is a dedicated, you have to dedicate your life to it. And a lot of these masters come from, hundreds and hundreds of years of generations of playing and totally for me just for me as a listener to kind of to even just like touch and and experience the depth of that was an influence to me and and just mostly by ear i was learning things and and uh holding on to a way of listening and a way of exploring myself and not not trying to copy i i was wasn't around um yeah you know i mean i wasn't you know, I, I didn't well, have the and ability. I think that's a huge difference between influencing and reproducing. And I think a lot yeah. of times when people say influence, what they mean is they're they're literally b- borrowing licks from a group. You know, you're not Jet out there making rollover DJ ripping off a Beatles song and mashing it up with a Who song. You're like, you're you're creating something that is is influenced. Like literally, it made you think of a different way you could play your guitar. And, yeah. And yeah. it really was me. I mean, it really was, it's strange. It's something it's, I, I, I think about this now where I have, I have, um, I mean, everyone does, but I, I can kind of trace the voice, the way that I voice my instrument um, is very unique. And I, I think it doesn't really sound like anyone else. Um, yeah. Not that I'm, like not that I'm exploding into new territory or breaking walls. Down, no, but it's but, yours. But it's mine. Yeah. yeah. And, and that really come, came from my my sort of deep listening and just my 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 simple enjoyment and yeah. I put a, I put out a record this year uh, during the pandemic, and it was the first time I've ever made something where it was like me and a friend that I grew up with that plays violin. And mm-hmm. I just used the studio like an instrument and just started building these loops and building on top of the oh, loops. Wow. And it was the first time ever. And it was, uh, there was this nylon string guitar that a friend had left in my house that I, I'm not a very good guitarist, but there was this nylon string guitar there and I picked it up and I kept playing it. And I was like, this thing has such a cool sound. I have to build a couple songs around this. And then when mm-hmm. I did, it was like, I could feel all the influences, but it didn't sound like them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is clearly something that's like a, a, a smog kind of sounding riff. But I was like, oh, cool. but it's not a smog riff. Like, it's mine. And then as I built on it, it just developed this uh, this singular sound. And when I had her add these strings and layer on like a whole string section onto it, I was like, this is my sound. And I've never had it before. And I put out five records and I've never had my own sound. And Amazing. it was always something where I felt like, you know, yeah, this kind of sounds like a Wilco song or whatever. And then for the first time hearing my own voice and being like, that's mine. And it's, yeah. it is something that like is, is groundbreaking and changes the way you see what you do in the world around you and, and get changes your relationship with your own work. And I feel that's so profound that you discovered that, you know, and I feel like, you have to put in the search and believe in it and like explore that. And, and that really, to me, that's like kind of a lot, like even with, with this album and and just in life in general, I feel like a lot of things, I feel like that's what this album is about for you in a lot of ways. It is. It is. And it's, it's interesting that you brought up the nylon string because I played a lot. I wrote 
this whole this record on nylon string and i never oh, wow. played nylon i never played nylon string for some reason huh. and i ended up asking a friend who worked at a music store so like do you can you recommend one that's like not expensive and i bought this one and i just the tonality of it it just changed the way that i was playing and it was perfect for me to kind of figure out a different touch and like a different sound and i felt like i was writing differently just because i had this like new instrument yeah and i also i did this i made this really uh, this cool record that i'm excited about um that will come out gosh i don't know hopefully in the next year but i i, I have this friend who's a composer piano pianist who um is an i'm a fan of his music and we were corresponding and we just said like let's I've been playing a lot of nylon string. I'll send you like a piece, just mostly just kind of improvised huh. musing and he would play over it. And then he would send me a piece and then I would play over that. So we had this sort of like exchange going almost awesome. just kind of for fun in the beginning. And then we were like, wow, this, there's this real conversation happening. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting and very, it felt very deep. Yeah. And we have eight pieces now and we mixed it and we're going to, going to be a record oh that's and cool it's just, it's just nylon string piano and we were finding all these different tones yeah and, um, i guess yeah that's really interesting you brought that up because for me that is also what is important in discovering is like wow this is this is me this isn't me trying to do something else you know yeah and, and i think for, in that like also, I have to wonder, like, you know, that playing the nylon string and being like, oh, this is different. It's making me play different. Um, does Is that also kind of why you decided to to jump across the pond or jump across the country to L.A. to record? Like, because you literally went, you know, to the other end of the country and, and it, outside it, it, of yourself, outside of your world and made a record. It had a lot to do with that. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to get almost kind of get out of myself as much as possible, I guess, if, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think, I mean, I wanted, you know, I've always made records here in New York for the most part. And I felt like being somewhere different and being in a new environment and letting that environment influence what we were doing was kind of an important part in kind of discovering this music and, and arriving to it. And it, and essentially it kind of worked. I felt like it, it got me out of a lot of like just habitual stuff with music. Um, and it freed me up a lot. And I was like happy to be out there of course, and happy to work with Rob and yeah, I mean, it, it changed a lot of, it shifted a lot of perspectives in me personally, just with like what I want to do in the future. And, where I'd like to be and, and and where I'd like to record. I felt like it, it was really nice to live in the album outside of home, you know, and like in a completely different place. I felt like it was a fresh sort of perspective in that, in that regard. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. that's yeah, I gotta say, it's really awesome to see an artist that you enjoy a record of and then every album that they put something out, it's like, it's like you're learning and growing and not just turning inwards or reproducing the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. It's like you're continuously absorbing things and then letting those things evolve you. And that's so the opposite of so, how so many musical careers go where people just like, well, this is my sound and it's going to be my sound for my career. And then they yeah. end up just playing the same song over and over again for the rest of their lives till they go crazy. Um, but yeah, right. it's just amazing to see your work grow and like develop and evolve. Thank you. I mean, that's really nice and reassuring to hear because if someone can hear that and, and, and like know that that's where I'm coming from. I mean, that's so important. I just think it's amazing that like when I was looking up, I never read reviews of records cause it, they just drive me crazy. Um, yeah, critics same, just drive same. me crazy, but I was looking up reviews for this one just to, to get some, some background. And, uh, everyone that lists like the albums to listen to of Steve Gunn is listing other you mm-hmm. as the go-to album. And I'm like, that's so cool that this is like your what 11th record. And it's the one that everyone's like, that's the one you got to hear. Like that never happens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's just no, really but, cool to see, see the evolution and growth. And it's cool. I think I also really like that. That is amazing. And I also think that we're hope that this is an album that people will continue to go back to. I think some of the stuff that I do when you're saying like there's, there's long kind of grooves and sort of meditative like drones and stuff. It's like, for me, I have hopes that it, these are, this is an album that like, it's a slow burn in a lot of ways. I feel like I'm yeah. a slow burn just in many aspects of my life, <laughs> you know, it takes, it just takes time. And with time, I feel like this record can, just evolve into something if you stick with it. Steve Gunn will be playing December 10th at the Great Eagle. Tickets are on sale now. You can also find his new album, Other You, wherever you stream your music, or reach out to your local record store to support your local music purveyor and Steve himself. This has been a special episode of The Dirty Spoon. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I handle our music selection, I produce and record our show, and write some of the original music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, sources our stories, and handles our webpage and marketing. To hear full episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, and to hear other special interviews like this one, just head to our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. There you can subscribe to our Patreon to help us keep going. And be sure to catch up on live episodes of the Dirty Spoon the first Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. on WPVM. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume, right here on the Dirty Spoon. Yeah.